This event was recorded live at the 2015 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Oh, thank you very much. Hello, uh, a big welcome to uh, the Edinburgh International Book Festival and uh, to this uh, uh, event with Kate Tempest um, uh, in conversation. Um, and a big thank you to the Skinny uh, for sponsoring this event. They've been sponsors of uh, the festival for, uh, not all of the festival, uh, but bits of the festival for eight years now. Um, we haven't got a clue what we're going to do. Um, I, as we've firmly established, but I think we're going to have a, a, a blather about some things that uh, interest us. Um, uh, and then, oh not, uh, and then uh, the event is scheduled for about 55 minutes, so we'll save maybe 15, 20 minutes at the end if you have any uh, 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 questions to uh, put to Kate. Uh, I should declare an interest. I'm uh, Kate's. Uh, sorry, my name's Don Patterson. I should have mentioned that. Um, I'm Kate's editor at uh, uh, Picador, and I think I first uh, came across Kate's work. When was that old Vic thing? About three years ago. Yeah, about that. Um, yeah. Yeah, that. and I got a call saying, "Have you heard Kate Tempest?" And I'm going, "Kate who?" And and uh, and I got a ticket for this this thing, and I can say. Um, uh, hand on heart, I've never been more astonished at a poetry event, uh, uh, and I really had the sense of something new uh, beginning. The, um, the reaction of the audience was truly moving to witness at this thing, and it did have the, the, the feel of a kind of uh, 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 Baptist revival, actually, would be uh, what it felt like. But um, the emotion in the room was really palpable, and, and uh, I think it was the first time, certainly, as an editor, I ever felt like an A&R guy. And I was on the phone in the foyer immediately to my boss going, we need to sign this lassie now, because um, she's going to be gone by tomorrow. Um, and, and we did. And, it's been, and since then, it's been an utter joy uh, uh, working with Kate and watching the way that her career's uh, uh, taken off uh, over the last um, couple of years. And in so many different fields, of course, as you know, she's not just a, 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 an extraordinary poet. Uh, she's a, a, a very fine playwright, um, uh, Mercury shortlisted musician. Uh, what else? There's a novel coming out next year. Um, just a matter of time before the ice sculpture and the, uh, <laughs> the treaties and the fall of Western capitalism. But anyway, so um, uh, <laughs> a polymath, I think we're, we're, uh, we're talking here. So uh, as I say, me and Kate are going to have a wee blather about <laughs> things. Uh, and um, we'll take it from there. So, Kate, uh, how are you doing? <laughs> I felt less awkward in my life. <laughs> no, I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm doing very well. Happy to be here talking to you and you. Well, this is going well. Um, <laughs> don't you think there's something intrinsically funny about author's toilet as a sign? It just occurred to me earlier. <laughs> yes. Right. I'll tell you what I wanted to ask you about. Um, and it came up in conversation with someone in the yurt. Uh, yes. Earlier, and uh, and it's something. It's not. It's, it's no longer the elephant in the room, but two or three years ago it might have been, and it's this old and, in my opinion, artificial division between uh, uh, performed poetry and poetry for the page. Now you've kind of made that transition, um, and in a way you're kind of ideally placed to you know to say something about that. And the differences, if there are any, between the two, or, or what's your feeling about that? Is it a well, broad judge of the differences? I think that there is huge differences between poetry that you perform in a room and poetry that you read from the page. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with there being differences. What I don't think there are is a value, a kind of set of values that make one more important than another. I think that a poem on the page isn't finished until somebody reads it. There is the act of reading it, receiving it, working it out is what takes this poem from what I think of as like a map towards I mean, it sounds kind of pretentious, but it's what I think, so it's all right. The, the <laughs> it's like a map towards a kind of experience that the poet yeah. had, this moment, this sensation or something. <coughs> anyway, it's like, until somebody's reading it and engaging with it, it's not a poem yet. It's just some words on a page. Uh, with a performance, the poem happens in the minute that it reaches the audience. Uh, in both cases, it's, in my opinion, the most important person in that exchange is whoever is hearing it, reading it receiving it, which is an opinion that ruffles a lot of feathers because um, poets have got quite high opinions of themselves in certain circles. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't have certain 
poets are completely justified in that kind of opinion of themselves, but the... No offence. What I mean is this, kind of the intellectual snobbery is something that is rife in like, lots of different kind of high art forms, but what's exciting about performance is that it takes it back, I think, to a really ancient time, which is when it wasn't about how clever you were or how important you were or how educated or informed you were. It was about how well you could communicate with the people that wanted to be communicated with, I think. How, how present do you feel in these occasions? Because that's very much my experience at your gigs, which is it's about the, uh, the audience. It's a kind of community event. It's that kind of activity, which, as you say, is very different from the page thing, um, where you maybe have to bring a little bit more to make it more of a collaborative act. But these, these, these readings of yours, for me, are very much community occasions, and you, and you seem uh, you know, uh, committed to making them so. How do you feel? you know, when you're up there? Well, it's, um, it's interesting because if, if you're too aware of what's happening, if you're too aware that you're in a room full of people who, and you're kind of trying to take them somewhere, then it's just disgusting. It's kind of gross and you feel a bit awkward. And, but if you allow disgusting. yourself... Disgusting. Well, because you feel like that guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> out of like, you know, like a camp leader. It can't get a bit butlins these things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Let's all feel together. Kids, <laughs> but if you the, th the point is, I care very much about my work, and I feel very passionate about my craft, my stagecraft, my my, lyri my lyric craft. And I f when I'm in a room and when I'm in front of an audience, there is something that happens, which I can't really unpick too much because I think the minute I begin to try and understand it, it kind of falls apart a little bit. It's yeah. not. It's not. But a it's quite paradoxical, isn't it? Because on the one hand, it's down to your stagecraft, and it's it's down to you you know, and, and your presence on stage, but at the same time, the, the worst thing it could be is egotistical. The worst thing it could be is about you, you know? So it's like, it's a pretty but fine line. But you know, it, didn't, it never of. used to be. Like, in other cultures, in other times, yeah. the musician, the artist, the performer, they were speaking for and with their communities. And um, there's something that's happened recently. I'm going to just talk to you guys a little bit as well. And also, like, fucking adjust that a little bit. There, there's something that's happened where it's become so much about the artist or the musician or the performer being somehow above the people they're talking to or talking with or talking about. And it's so that we can sell units and uh, exciting perfumes and all these other things. But it's absolute nonsense. And I think that uh, poets, because we're so awkward and unfashionable and often uh, like kind of unattractive and unpuppy. Like, I speak for myself, Don, honestly. But like, <laughs> I think we're kind of perfectly placed to break a few of those things down because if it was about that, you just fucking you're in the wrong job, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but another, yeah, I mean, thing, another thing, though, what you because you taught me this is something that you taught me when I, when we first started trying to write poems. Don would ha explain to me that to not just see the limitation of a page. I was really frustrated at first because something that I felt really sang didn't sing at all out of my mouth and on the page. It was dead. Um, and he taught me to see the, the, the possibilities. He said to me, you can't perform a semicolon, but you know the page really can. Like A semicolon on a page has, has a, a job. And what's interesting is like <coughs> you have to accept that people understand how to read form. There's like, you have this like secret language between the reader and the poet, which I didn't really know about before. That and w when you're performing, it's like you're kind of doing it all, which takes maybe a lot... Maybe it's actually not that empowering for the audience, because you're coming out, this is how it goes, da 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 But with the poem, there is, there is a, a kind of a stepping stone, which doesn't involve you at all, which is about your punctuation and the meter and the form or whatever, and about the reader making the decisions. So maybe they are different. Maybe they are quite fundamental. Well, not fundamentally. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of overlap. But the way you describe the performance thing is very much in kind of shamanistic terms. And you're saying uh, that you feel there's more of a return to that kind of way of uh, dealing with things now? Do you think you see a resurgence of that, a more kind of uh, primal use of the art form? Or is it just you? Um, I mean, are there other people doing this? Yeah, there's, lo there's loads of people doing it, as we all know. There's like... I think the thing is, it's not a new thing. It's never gone away. It's always, always been fascinating and exciting for people to hear writers reading their work out. It's sometimes been pretty far down the agenda, I, I have to say. Um, oh. I, th I think recently that, that, that that's changed quite fundamentally. Yeah, OK, maybe so. But there was loads of it about in the 80s and the 70s and the 60s, you know, in, Yates was doing it, you know, it was like everyone was reading. The thing is, the great poets who are dead, 
now didn't have recording equipment or YouTube. So we don't know if they were sitting around reading their poems to each In fact, we do know that they did that. They sat around and read their poems to each other, all the old, you know, yeah. all the old guys. That, they were desperate for recording equipment. I mean, as soon as it was available, you had Tennyson sitting there with the wax cylinders recording every damn thing you could think <laughs> of. <isn't it? laughs> so nothing's changed. It's wonderful. <laughs> no, no, they're absolutely desperate, I think, to communicate through whatever means possible. And I think it's, uh, that's significant. I mean, you know, they are relentless communicators, poets, you know? Yeah. Um, often driven for egotistical reasons, as you say, but the better part of them isn't, I think. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't damning poetry when I said I that. I didn't take it that way at all. <laughs> Nor was I speaking up for it. Um, <coughs> so this um, shamanistic thing, do you think there's an element of that? Uh, I mean, I hate to use the word priestly, but I'm, I'm always struck by the cadences of your performance. And I was, I was trying to describe it to somebody, to, uh, to somebody, to a bunch of students in St. Andrews the other day because I was doing a lecture on you. And I thought, uh, and I thought, <laughs> which would put you at your ease, I thought, of just to tell you that. I was, um, I, I'm looking at this, sort of, uh, not just about you, but looking at the origins of kind of uh, uh, the hip-hop cadence, uh, mm. you know, and, and how that comes out of urban black America and what have you, and where that comes from. And so much of that, uh, you know, is, is still audible in, in Baptist preaching, uh, in African-American Baptist preaching, that thing. And a lot of that cadence came through Gil Scott Hearn, you know, and sort of early black performance artists. Um, and, and, and I hear weirdly a lot of that in your own... Uh, 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 performance and now on the page as well because I hear your voice very much in what you write. I wonder if that was something you'd ever thought about at all, uh, you know, in terms of because I mean it would be true to say, would it not, that one of your interests and in the kind of things that you write about is a kind of poetry of moral exhortation because you're interested in how people, how we behave towards each other and how we treat each other. Mm. And if you look at your plays and you look at some of the longer poems, it's often how we can behave honorably and often quite dishonorable in difficult circumstances, which, mm. uh, you know, and that seems to be like a moral project, you know, and that seems to fit with your way of, uh, you know, of bringing people into that. That does remind me of, of, of something quite priestly, I'm afraid. Well, I think that, that it's not a decision. It's important to say it's not a decision. Right, it's right, not like right. I sat down and said, oh, yeah, that would be cool if I just uh, used some cadences from Baptist preachers. But the... What it is, no, what I can say is that I think conviction and passion creates a, a kind of dynamic in your voice that people associate with kind of religious fervor because where else do you hear right. people speaking with conviction if not in churches? The only other place is when people are lying often in politics or something like that. Where they you just used to hear it in politics, didn't you? And yeah. now we're hearing it in Jeremy Corbyn in his own quiet way, but we don't hear it in politics, as yeah. you say, it's not there. So the, it's the point of it is, is that when people are believing what they're saying, or believing the reasons behind saying it, or something like that, there's something about conviction, passion, that creates this kind of like, this tam tambra, tombra, that this thing, this kind of shaky, strong, powerful thing that... That's it, yeah. And the thing about like my preoccupation with um, moral exaltation, as you put it, like uh, there, there's definitely themes in my work, but I don't. Th I think I'm. It's not for me to find them. I just have to make the work. You know, it's like I just have to make the work that I'm interested in and move through the stuff that is moving me. But I definitely feel there's yeah. there's more. I'm not. There's something I want to say. There's something I want to communicate, and I think it's really important. Not that not what I've got to say is important, but I feel like it's important to stand in a room together and discuss some of these things or mm. to notice some of these things or even to ask some of these questions together about where we're at because it pains my heart so deeply to see some of the confusion and trouble and loneliness and difficulty that we've found ourselves in and the times that we live in are troubling for me. And, but also extremely beautiful, and I feel so tender, so alive, and so close to people, uh, but also deeply troubled. And that's all in my work. And I think that people often are kind of relieved to hear. I think that's that's that the word. Kind of that's it's palpable relief that these things are being discussed. But everybody's thinking openly. it. Everybody's feeling it. I know. Uh, but it's the kind of thing where you, especially in art, there's it's not very clever to kind of. To say, ouch, 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 <laughs> what are we going to do? It's kind of much, but I think people are, people seem to just, there's just, 
this is, I get it, whenever I watch a singer, mm. and they're just being real, <coughs> they're just going to that place, just taking it all off and actually being themselves and reaching for that place which we all have, very vulnerable, raw place, especially in female performers, where we allow ourselves to go there and open in front of strangers, make yourself that vulnerable and be that powerful. But yeah, there's nothing sentimental about it. You know, you, you know I mean, so there's, a, I mean, there's absolutely nothing. Uh, there's no sense of you celebrating your own sensitivity at all, which I think Until is... Now. Until now. <laughs> until this point in your career. Well, actually, you know, that's a kind of interesting question, you know, because, I mean, what you're talking about there is the necessity of that authenticity, you know, which I, I completely believe you. I think that it imprints itself in the cadence of your language, and people know when you mean it and they know when you don't. Do you find, I mean, given that you, you know, sort of, um, you're in a kind of, you know, I've got a kind of morbid interest, because you're in this unique position. Literally, no poet has been ex as uh, successful in the space of two years as you've been. So, <laughs> you know, I, I would think, it would be the case for most people that they'd be plunged into a kind of self-consciousness, you know, about who they were and what mark they were making on the page and what they were saying, you know, sort of uh, to an audience. Do, do you find that authenticity harder to hold on to as you're aware of an audience having greater and greater expectations of you and what they want from you as a performer? No, because two years have been pretty... Lots has gone on in the last two years, but this has been 15 years. Right in the making, not these two years are the culmination of a shitload of hard work and I know where I'm from, I know who I am, I know what I'm saying, I know what I'm trying to do, I know, I know my relationship with my work so well, I know my relationship with my friends and my family and my, my home solid turf, mm -hmm. I, I feel rooted and the fact that there's big, more bigger people in the audience, I used to do this all day long, all night long to two people who were the bar staff <laughs> and like, <laughs> I used to travel from London to Sunderland, like with my drummer. After pick him up from work, he worked on a market on a fish massage stall. It's a true you story. You see massage. Where you put your feet in a fish tank and the fish eat the. Well, dead you're not skin. massaging the fish. No, you're. They're massaging you. All right, right, right. right? It's a true story. Because that would have been weird. Pick him up from work. He'd get in the car, lock the fish up. We drive to Sunderland to play for literally three old men that wanted to watch the football. <laughs> drive back through the night, drop him off at work. I would go and have to do my work, which was like teaching or writing. I had to write commissions for like ch charities. Awful work, obviously. Like, but the <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. The um, <laughs> point is, is this been, it's been a long time in the making. And so there is, I, there's nothing that, the only challenge it's the same challenge that has always been, is how to battle the kind of creative like neurosis that always tells you whatever you're working on is the thing that's going to make everyone find out how shit you are. That, but, but isn't that a gift? Isn't that insecurity a gift? Isn't that the one thing that makes sure that you don't deliver inferior I don't, I don't work? know. You tell me. Like, you've had to live with it I longer, think so. I imagine, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I distrust anyone who, you know, sort of, who doesn't come from a place of deep insecurity. <laughs> <laughs> and there are, you know. It's like, I always remember Frank Zappa saying this. He said he's al he'd always hired guys for his band who thought they couldn't play. Yeah. You know, because they were always the best. They were yeah. always the most conscientious, you know. Um, it's horrible, it's like this race with yourself constantly and like part of you is like one foot is like this is the best thing I've ever been able to say, this is so exciting, all my tools are in the right place and then they literally take the next step and the next foot I'm says you're a fucking wreck, know, this know, is ridiculous, who do you think you are? And like, there's nothing in the middle. <laughs> there's nothing <laughs> in the middle, exactly it's that. It's this neurotic vacillation between crap and amazing, I know. And it happens like because I've got a novel to deliver and a poetry thing to do and like a, an album or whatever, it happens three times in the same day. Like, for <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's your fault. You know, it's just nice. You didn't need to set it up like that. Um, would you would you mind very much talking about you know sort of how you how you got into it initially? Because it's um, from someone coming from the page, it's it's a, it's a wholly different kind of apprenticeship that you said that's much more about improvisation, that's much more about group activity. So how did you kind of get going? Was it, th was it through more of a hip-hop thing than a, than a spoken word thing? Or? Yeah, I was, um, I wanted to be a rapper. I absolutely lived and breathed for hip-hop music. Um, there was a big scene in South London where I grew up of really interesting um, men, young boys who were like writing raps and freestyling and it was a really vibrant culture that I felt very close to and uh, 
for years, I, d I was just on the peripheries of this culture and just um, listening. I worked in a record shop, listened to music all day long. And I, I was writing rap secretly and then I used to write poetry when I was really, really young, but it was awful. And that's fine because I was a 12-year-old girl and everyone has to go through that. But if you are a 12-year-old girl or have them at home, if they're writing awful poetry, it's a really good thing. Encourage them. I mean that bottom of my heart, encourage them. But um, the point is, is that I started rapping and I was crap. And, uh, but I loved it so much. <laughs> and what, it, what actually, that's a stupid thing to say. What, what's more interesting is that the conviction that it teaches you, rapping, is a different kind of conviction because you've got this scary circle of blokes. And I was little and pudgy and like glasses and pale and like, gay <laughs> and weird. <laughs> and I had, I wanted to rap with these lads, like, and because I, I had stuff I wanted to say, I was very political, I, I wanted to talk about conspiracy theories that I was pretty sure were <laughs> enslaving us. <laughs> and <laughs> we called it conscious rapping, which is funny considering. Uh, <laughs> point is, I was like, I was hell bent on it. I loved it, I lived and breathed for it. And the point is, if you approach that circle and you haven't got anything worth saying, mm you'll get laughed out of town, it's time to go home, everyone would, you, there's no time for you to be crap, there's no time for you to not be sure of what you're saying or who you are or what you're coming with, and if you're sloppy or, and that was, that happened for years, so like, and it's all about kind of one-upping each other as well, you, you, I used to do battle rapping, um, I could tell you a funny story about battle rap maybe a little bit later, because I, <laughs> but I used to do battle rapping and then, then I got into doing spoken word, and the thing about spoken word is there is no bar, Nobody will tell you you're crap, it's time to go home. Everyone will applaud you for ju even just trying, <laughs> even just getting up. <laughs> so I was there, these slams, like, hold on. <laughs> Missing a trick here, because uh, it went from like one of the most like full-on environments to be like wielding words. And also what that, the respect meant more from somebody because they wouldn't give you respect for just trying. It was like, unless you had put something really interesting together, they weren't going to be like, yeah, nice one, that was good. <laughs> but then you go to spoken word and it's like, oh, interesting, you've written about a really awful experience you've had and it's... But that's true of poetry as a whole, to, isn't it? It's one of the most kind of pointlessly supportive communities in terms of... Oh, well, I, I haven't found that. <laughs> I haven't found that in, in this kind of poetry. No. I haven't found them to be pointlessly supportive. I found them to be a little bit snide. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit snide. Not really, right, no. Right, no you, uh, uh, very pic generous. Picador has been nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stick with us. I don't know. I, don't know, I, don't, I kind of went off topic. It was just, uh, tell, us your, tell us your rap story, go on. I was doing this battle on a boat. We had to do this boat party. Yeah, mate. I would <laughs> <laughs> it's about to get really pointless in a minute. Like, I was doing this rap battle. On a boat, sometimes in London, I don't know why we're doing it, but you get on a boat and it sails for six hours, you can't get off, it goes down the Thames. We were DJing at it or something, I was doing this battle. And um, I was really, really drunk and uh, this guy was like battling with me and then I was like, mate, he was saying all kinds of stuff about my period or whatever. And then I was like, mate, you make me sick. And then I vomited. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> And I won the battle. <laughs> <laughs> well, by throwing up with these shoes. Well, I tried to throw up. And it was yeah. something about the motion, <laughs> the alcohol. Did you keep it in? Did you keep it in? Well, that's, uh, that's all I said. <laughs> Everyone was like, yeah, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't get away with that at a poetry slam, though. I said Has that ever happened to you, Dom? <laughs> I've thrown up at a poetry reading, but not under, not, not under competitive circumstances. <laughs> just, you know, usually through the quality of the drink and the nibbles, you know, just like most poetry <laughs> events aren't like this, you know. In my experience, it's usually just, you know, six people, a bottle of cider and a bag of Wilkes that we pass around to <laughs> and a bus shelter. <coughs> So, uh, can I ask a question, uh, you know, um, uh, which is slightly worried, because I worry about you overextending yourself, and obviously uh, I'm concerned with what, you, what you're, uh, uh, you're going to write next is uh, uh, poetry being the one true path, you know, sort of uh, in, that, um, in that mode. Um, maybe before I ask you about that, um, I, can I ask you about this? 
uh, merch. Uh, fine thing, uh, I hold it, but it's widescreen format uh, that you can't fit in your pocket, but it's nonetheless Whose idea was that? I have no idea, Kate. Um, it was Don's idea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But can I ask you uh, uh, about the origins of, uh, uh, you know, of the idea? Uh, I don't know if you know anything about Hold Your Own, but it, it, it's written through the Tiresias myth, uh, which is complicated, but, it's, but conveniently brings in a, you know, an unbelievable amount of uh, uh, interesting political and gender stuff and, mm. and what have you. Um, well, when we started working on stuff for the page, I was struggling with whether to use poems that had existed before and like trying to give them a life they had not really worked as spoken word poems or they'd been knocking around for a while and I realised that that was a massive cop out and that what was important to do is start completely from scratch and what was exciting is conceiving all the poems to belong together with each other and um, I've been carrying Tiresias around in my head forever, he's always been someone that I've, I'm haunted by and I've, I had this idea to do something with him for years, and the idea was always not very, it wasn't right, it kept not being right. And then I was in, I was in a meeting at Picador with you, and um, the big boss, and some other people, and uh, they were like, so how's, this, how's the new book coming along? They were talking about Brand New Ancients. How's the new collection coming along? And then just in that moment, under that pressure, I realised that Tiresias was going to be the guiding principle. Some, because... There's so much, there's so many things I wanted to say. You're not really allowed to say everything that you want to say because it's just exhausting and then you end up saying nothing at all. So you need, you need a guiding principle and you, I, wanted, I wanted it to be held in this kind of mythological context. I wanted it to be about stuff I'd never written about. I wanted to write about gender and sexuality. I wanted to write about prophecy and the idea that it feels like a pretty intense time. <coughs> and it's, he just seemed like she, they seemed like the perfect way to do it. And I wanted it to begin with this long retelling of the story, which I think is such a great story anyway, just so visual, like, so, mm. it's so Hollywood, that story. And it's it's like absolutely, utterly cinematic, yeah. And then, um, and th I was interested in how you'd go from that big, ancient, cinematic narrative to very small, descriptions of childhood, which I'd never really written about my childhood. I'd never really, I'd never written poems so small and delicate and I'd never, I'd never allowed them in because it's all been up until this point, even when I was writing about relationships or anything else, because of the performative nature of what I was doing, because of the bravado that I had to put on through rapping, mm. beginning in rap, you put, as well as it teaching you to be, you know, teaching you a kind of quality control, it also teaches you Puts, it puts an armour on you. And this was really interesting. They took it all off, took all the armour off, and uh, feel much better for it as a writer. Has it affected the performance uh, side of things at all, in terms of the things that you're writing for? Yeah, there's some poems in that book that I wouldn't <coughs> really be able to... I wouldn't want to perform. That's interesting. Some of them, some poems you don't... It yeah. just wouldn't work. It doesn't mean anything more to s for me to read it to you. It would mean more if you read it without me there, yeah. you know? And that's really interesting. These, like, smaller ones, and also the ones that make me cringe, like, you know, like, there's ones about strange sexual encounters and things like that. I was like, oh. <laughs> Some, But somehow it's all right that you know about it in the book, but as long as I'm not there and saying the word. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You yeah, must, yeah, you absolutely. You must have the same yeah. thing. I know what you're saying. <laughs> weird, isn't it? Weird. <laughs> but the it's really enjoyable performing them. They have a new they have a new life, like a new I understand the movement through them. I've worked out that what I'm gonna do tomorrow as well and I did it I've worked out that the best way of performing these poems is performing them all as one poem. Because in the book they there's the idea is that there's all these voices and because Tiresias <coughs> is multi voiced, multi personed all these voices are kind of speaking together in this kind of relentless, claustrophobic chorus. And this chorus, hopefully, is the voice of the collection. And to split them up and do a kind of nice little spiel in between, it just was like, felt so awkward and cheesy. Because all oh, that's the other thing, sorry, stop me if you've heard this one before, but the, <laughs> the, the other awkward thing about performance poetry is that you feel like you have to, 
like sell yourself a little bit. You have to come mm. out and be a bit like self-effacing and then you have to kind of disarm and you have to tell that witty anecdote that will get a better laugh than the actual poem and then you have to... And it makes me feel fucking sick. It's horrible and it's kind of not what... I never wanted to do that. I used to come into like open mics and I didn't know what to say. I was like painfully awkward and then I'd do my poems and it'd be really fucking intense and then I'd be like, right, that was that one. Uh, here's another one. People used to laugh at me for that and like poets would be like, you need to really work on your... You're in between bits. Yeah, you really need to <laughs> pull those out a little bit. <laughs> like, and now, and then for ages I was like, yeah, wicked, all right. And then you start doing that and you end up, people enjoy your set more, people are laughing more. But you know what? When, it doesn't mean anything. If a room's full of laughter, it doesn't necessarily mean they're listening, you know. But the trouble is, isn't it? I mean, it's like very often, especially if you're more of a pagey poet, it's the only kind of audible response that you get from the audience is if they're laughing. So it, encourage, it encourages you foolishly yeah, yeah. to try and be funny, like, oh, you know? God, like, oh. Because, you know, when they're incredibly moved and when they're bored shitless, it sounds exactly <laughs> the same. <laughs> <coughs> but you know what I mean? You end up becoming this kind of, you know, rubbish no. stand-up. But the thing is, yeah, exactly. And we're like, exactly that. You do feel a bit like that. But with this... It gave me, it's given me enough, like, it's given me a bit of a different perspective because I feel, we work so hard on this book, I work so hard on it, that when I performed the poems, not that I didn't work hard on the other poems, but because I did, but they came from a much more of an instinctive place and the performance was much more instinctive and this feels much more crafted so I can stand behind it in a different way. And I can come out on stage and I don't feel like I have to tell that funny story about when I vomited in the rap battle, you know, it's like, <laughs> I can just do the fucking poems. And how important is it, the fact that you've got... I mean, it's just like, again, this is unremarkable in your community, but how important is it, the fact that you, you, know, you have all this stuff by heart, you know, it's just like, and you, and you don't refer to the book at all? And you uh, well, I think it's really important for me to have the poems in my head because I can forget about remembering. I can f I f if you're trying to read or if you're trying to recall, it's just one step more removed between you and the people you're talking to. I can mean it more, I can find it in a moment, and it can mean more to you if mm. it's just me and you. If there's something between us, I find it just harder. I find it a bit harder for it to land in me, and then maybe that'll be harder to land in you. And there's this like magic place where you, the Brand New Ancients, this is happening. Like when I was trying to memorize Brand New Ancients, it was like, I was terrified, absolutely terrified. It's 70 minutes long, I was convinced I was gonna fuck up, you know. Sorry about swearing as well, sorry. I won't, well, I probably will, but I won't do it anymore. Uh, I was doing this thing where I'd throw a ball up in the air and catch it and count that in my head, <coughs> one, two, three, and say the words out loud, so to prove to myself that the words were in a different part of my memory. So you know it's not your conscious memory, so you can relax. Oh, this is getting boring, but it's going somewhere. The, the point is, is that there is a moment where you, you're not remembering. It's like a musician playing. It's like yeah, it's a, like muscle memory, yeah. And it's you can like, see it. You can see the page. You can see what the line breaks. You can see it up here, and you can kind of reach for it even. And if you shut your eyes and you go in, it's coming from down here now. It's not coming from here anymore. And then you can tell the story. And That's it can, great. It's and like, as you say, it's one last thing between you and the audience now. I mean, it's like it's a more transparent kind of conduit, you know. It's mental. It's like... I'm sure, I'm sure players probably feel the same way, because if you, especially if it's a long piece, like. Mm. But then also because it began, like, <coughs> you wouldn't turn up, I wouldn't turn up to a gig with my lyrics on a notepad. But all right, guys, I'm just going to get started. Here we go. Like, <laughs> you, because it's songs, you sing it. And you know what? It's not that surprising. Back in the day, they, it was all memorised, wasn't it? Yeah, it was absolutely, yeah, yeah. There's no other way of preserving it. Yeah. But the thing is, what's awkward is that you don't want it to become this kind of strange memory competition where people are like, oh, well, they always say, you know, how did you remember all that? And it's like, oh, didn't you listen to the, the words? Like, too busy being like, interesting, she's got no paper, or I don't know. It's like <laughs> 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 yeah, great technique, great <laughs> technique. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, that was a bit off, let's talk about something else. I'll, I'll ask one more question before I, I open up to you folks. Um, but I, I'd like to know what you're working on. Selfishly, I'd like to know what you're working on now. Um, I've, I've, have you had any further thoughts about, you know, that was one of the most su successful kind of dips into the myth kitty I think we've seen in, in, 
contemporary poetry for some time. I wondered, uh, have you fancy sticking your hand in again? Successful delves into the myth kitty. I was a phrase of Larkin's <laughs> I, uh, I borrowed shamelessly. But you know fancy doing like an odyssey or, you know, I could sell that. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> um, I'm joking. I think that, for me, I think those, the old stories are fascinating. Like, genuinely, I find them really captivating. And because I read so many of them when I was young, my dad used to tell me the stories, I used to read them. Really? They're, in, they're part of my... They're just part of the way that I look around and see, and I'm really interested in ancient civilizations because I think that we are in an inch, I think as a, uh, we are, we are in a, this is a great civilization, this, and we are in the last days. <laughs> this is something that I feel, don't, like you know, don't worry about that because that's probably not true, but this is something that I've grown <laughs> up thinking. <laughs> and so I'm interested in how, in like, I'm really interested in the old stories and what they can do to help us discover ourselves and our present. But I, it's not like I sit down and think, oh yeah, must, must retell some myths. So if it comes, it comes, and it comes that way, and that's interesting. But there it is, is, always a, it a, is a way of kind of sort of arrogating a certain confidence to yourself about that prophetic mode that you move into. And maybe, maybe it's continuous with that, with that person who was standing in the cipher, is that the right word? The cipher, um, yeah. Uh, you know, sort of, uh, with our conspiracy theories or whatever, you know, sort of uh, as a prophet of doom, you know. So maybe there's a, maybe there's a continuity there. Maybe, a, you know, sort of, uh, um, when you plug into that, uh, really those mythologies, it, it, it somehow gives you the... The, the timelessness of what we do yeah. like, as artists and, and human beings is like something that gets a bit lost in the, like the madness and hysteria of kind of surface mm. consumerist. Like, I know I'm saying that word with a pair of night trainers on, don't worry, I understand, I understand. <laughs> My point is like, there is something that is stopping us from accessing a part of ourselves that's very important. And that's like a part that I find about ritual and movement mm. and poetry and epic, epic stories. It's a really important part of ourselves and it needs to be acknowledged and we need to go there and gathering together in a room to dance to music or to listen to poetry or something. It's in a secular society, that's a really important part of what we do. And I think that there is a really, for me, satisfying, nourishing connection to, to the ancients. Because there has to be something that connects us. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, right? I mean, they used the word music to describe both music and poetry, but, uh, but that was also tied into the idea of dance. I was, yeah. talking, I was talking to Armitage about, like, two or three weeks ago, and he'd seen you at Glastonbury, and he was saying, what, what, what you've done is you've brought the body back into poetry again. You've made it a physical thing again, you know? And we've kind of, well, we've lost... Well, he said it. Simon you know, Armitage. Said it. Oh, I just, uh, but you've kind of brought... <laughs> clearly a result. Um, but you've brought that back in again. You, you've made it something kind of viscerally rhythmic again, you know, and it's... Uh, but, the, but it should be. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you're yeah. writing, or when, I, when I'm reading... Then you feel it, it like, yeah. I read it, and if... I read Simon Armitage, I read Not the Furniture Game, and I feel it physically. It's mm. like, it should do that. And if it isn't doing that, it's... It, if you're not moving like that when, when you're reading, then you're not reading the right things for you because you, it should be that it should be that hard, that deep. Like that's for me anyway. Whether it's music or poetry or looking at a painting, if it doesn't, if it's not, I know. Ah, oh, then what is it? EastEnders. Like what is it? It's like, <laughs> what's it for? And I do understand that not everybody wants that. Some people want a much more cerebral, but it like classical music, anything. It's like the, all the, the ideas between high and low. It's nonsense. Yeah. If you feel it. If you feel it. Michael Donahue always used to say it's got to go like this, uh, but it's got to hit you in the solar plexus first, then it can do that. Yeah. But if it just does that, it's not worth anything. You know? But then uh, there's a lot to be said for this stuff. I do understand uh, that it's really important. And, but I think, for me anyway, yeah, if it's not, yeah, exactly, it's not exactly both, that. Yeah. It's not there. But then you get laughed at for, for it being, also, it's, if, if it's just emotional or whatever, then it's, or it's female, isn't it? It's like, oh, how interesting. If, you feel, but where's your brain? <laughs> you know, that shit. I don't know. I'm not bringing that into it for just to be arbitrary. No, it is no, kind no, of a no, thing no. that we have to carry as women who perform that. If you're not like carefully constructing, I just, for me, it's more important that it, you know, just kicks your face open. 
I'm going to bring them in, but I'm just dead curious about something. You know, well, what, so, you know the, the, that kind of uh, uh, rap and hip hop community has a reputation, especially in that time, for being, you know, sort of you know, for there being a fair bit of machismo. But yet, the, the company you kept seemed to be quite accepting and encouraging. But all the, you know, sort of, they didn't make it easy for you. But um, no, it was, it was. Um my friends, you know, it's my. Yeah. It was like part. But they were, of they were all, but they were all guys, presumably. Were you like only women in the circle? Are you? Yeah, I mean, woman was stretching it. Like I was a strange lump, <laughs> 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 like a turtle, <laughs> rap turtle. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, no, I had good, good pals, right. and I had a very soulful connection, and the connection happened through music. And um, I was very lucky to grow up in a very creative area. And it, was ju- it wasn't just hip-hop, it was also people that were players of instruments, um, graffiti writers, people who danced. There was a very creative, living scene of young people that had something to live for. Mm. And that happened alongside young people that had decided they had nothing to live for. And that, it's, you are learnt very young that there are two ways. You can, either, you can either care about what you love, or you can not. And it just seemed that simple. And if you did care about it, you had this whole world of joy, which was like rapping and playing and partying and making work. And it's been a hard, it's hard work. Also, yeah, people laughed at me all the time. People didn't know what I was about or who I was or what I thought I was trying to say. But what was really important about that is it came to a point where I, I worked out... I stopped trying to do things their way. Mm. And I grew up a bit. And now I just like, feel completely fine being... Oh my God, I'm about to say this. I feel completely fine being me, you know, and when you're... Yeah, I know, I know. But it's, there's, a, there's a reason, there's a reason I'm saying it. For ages, when you're young, when you're young, when you're a teenager, you're trying to find your identity, you copy and you think that you have to put shit on. And then when I realised, actually, the most important thing about performance, this goes back to what we are saying, the most important thing you can do is just take it all off. Just take it off and just be... Connect with the most raw, intrinsic part. And actually, hip-hop opened its arms much more when it realised that I wasn't trying to be hip-hop, because hip-hop's all about authenticity. Right. So if I'm being me, really Kate, really real, I have to be, I have to be a young woman, I have to be the person that yeah. I am. I can't just go in baggy hoodie and be like, yo, 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 government. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was better than that, but not but that's a he- that <laughs> <laughs> But you know, that's a hell of an aesthetic, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, founded on authenticity, you know, we should have a bit more of that. Um, uh, we have a lot of time for questions. Uh, sorry, I've been hogging a conversation here, shamelessly. Um, uh, so if you have a question, could you stick your hand up and someone with a microphone will find you? Gentleman there. Hi, okay. I'm a local, so it's great to have you in my hometown. Um, Hello. I, what really sings to me with, with what you say and what Don's saying is when you talk about the, um, this point in civilization that we're at, this particular mm. economic model, and the shamanic or prophetic role of the artist um, and the transformative power of people getting together. So my question to you is, um, how do we collectively write a new story that's going to see us through the collapse of this civilization? Okay, so the first thing... Easy one. (laughs) No, I feel you, I feel you. I think the first thing to say is that the only way this is going to work is by connecting people in a way that doesn't preach, but empowers them to actually think about what's going on. And when I say that, I mean that as well as talking to the people that are underneath, we also need to empower bankers to get on board with realizing that this greed is negative for them, even though they're loaded. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So the the only way this works is not, I think anyway, is through, minds, everybody's mind, being empowered enough to realise that it's about more empathy and less greed. And since I was very young, I realised that preaching to the converted was the most satisfying thing for me to do because it felt great and it felt like you were really getting somewhere, but it doesn't work. So we, we have to, as far as we can, everybody that feels the same way as you is already feeling that. The people that we need to think about are the people that are too closed off to seeing seeing the destruction that the, the current story Do you is think causing. there's anything that we can do to reach them, brother? I mean, the worry is always that you're preaching to the converted. Uh, do you think there's, any, uh, there's anything that we can do to reach them? Um, that constituency that's kind of resistant to the message, if you like. Well, I think it's above and beyond politics, 
economics, I think that there's actually something more. There's a human thing that, that is universal. I hope. I fucking hope. And if you, if, oh, it's kind of difficult to talk about this publicly because the minute you start talking about this stuff, somebody's going to tell you that you're an idiot and you haven't got it right, da, da, da. But I'm just, the, the point is like, there, there is a lie that ha we've been sold about individualism. It's a lie, it's not true, we are connected to each other. That's why generally what I think. I think if somebody is murdered in the street, then you feel it. And even if you feel it, because when you're walking home at night, you imagine demons in an alleyway. This is, it's in the book, it's all there. This is what I genuinely think. And the, the suffering of all, I think, affects us all. And I think that the more we, the more we kind of head down this, like, I'm all right, mate, I've got to look after my family, I don't give a fuck about them if they've come over here, I don't care about this. And I know people who think like that. And um, it's not healthy, it's not right. And essentially, right, right down in the core of your stomach, if it came down to, like, really thinking about it, I'm just going to tell you something because this is something interesting that I learned. If me and you, two strangers, stand and look at each other and, and we've got no shoes on and you're standing on a block of ice, the temperature of my, my feet will drop. We are biologically empathetic beings and we've been told that we are biologically aggressive, territorial beings. It's not true. It's not true. Like, we feel each other. So I don't know about how we reach the people, but I'm doing my absolute best to just get myself to a place where when I speak I can be heard. And that is genuinely what's going on with um, what I'm up to with trying to make music and da 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 da, trying to write novels. Like there is a, I'm not, without wanting to sound like I'm setting myself up as some kind of fucking, you know, that guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> there is, everybody has a challenge to speak to people in a, in a calm and open way without telling them, without telling them that they're wrong, just trying to work out how and why? Do you understand what I'm getting at? I don't know if that's helpful or just fraff, really. It's, like, it's kind of impossible, intangible clouds of fraff. <laughs> I don't know what to say. But it's about not... I think we can feel pretty hopeful, as well as feeling like Sorry. absolutely distressed. Okay? <laughs> Lady there. Hi, Kate. Um, Hi. Is there anyone you'd be, any artist or of any kind, that you'd be particularly excited to collaborate with, either in terms of poetry or stage or music, um, anything like that? Yeah, uh, I think that... Well, what I think about... I get asked that question, and the thing is, I feel really excited by the work that artists make, and I think that they're so amazing, when I love what they do, that's enough. I don't necessarily think like I want to step in and get involved in what they do. Like there's um, I saw Bjork recently when I was in New York, and I was just just absolutely profoundly moved by what she does and her example and her stagecraft. There's a rapper called Jay Electronica. Yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's on some shit. He'll save us. Don't worry. He's, he'll save <laughs> us. And um, there's. There's a, a girl called Mika Levy, a woman called Mika Levy, who's fantastic. Lots of people. You, I don't know. You know, whoever, like, I don't know. Sorry, it's a cop-out, but I don't know what to say. Brilliant, Frank. Um, is it hard to go from Boomtown to here? To, like, you know... Uh, you know <laughs> how did you know I was at Boomtown? Where <laughs> 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 were you at two in the morning last night? Uh, What's Boomtown? <laughs> <laughs> He said clearly during <laughs> his age or something. It's like a, a festival. I've been doing loads of festivals oh, this weekend. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Boomtown is a notoriously gnarly festival. Gnarly. Um, yeah, I mean, what's strange about that is you go, so we just did, we were in Gothenburg, Dusseldorf, Toulouse, and then Boomtown. <laughs> uh, Where is Boomtown? <laughs> it's, it's within. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah. So you have your yeah, another boom town. Right. In your yeah. heart. Where's my boom town? <laughs> <laughs> well, then I had to leave there and I had to go for a meeting. Got home at like four in the morning. Had a meeting with my editor to go through the latest draft of this novel. Like picking my brain off the floor. Like being like, right, okay, quickly. Got to look at. And then came from there to here. And then. So I'm not like, oh, woe is me. I'm saying it is pretty weird, but like essentially the. The, the excitement carries you through. It's all the same 
It's all words, isn't it? It's all words. It's just Boomtown's a bit more ketamine. So. <laughs> 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 I don't partake. <coughs> right, we've just got time for... I'm sorry, I'll just cut you off there. Uh, we've got time for a really short question and a very brief answer and, um, and, and a minute I've to do something else. I've never given a brief answer in my life. A, a chap there with his hand held high. Short version of the question. So right early on when you were talking about conviction and passion and whatever, yeah. you said kind of in passing like throwaway, because women do that. Could you say some more about what the blokes are not doing? I think that there's different pressures on male performers. Um, I think that there's different pressures on female performers. Uh, what is expected of you when you walk on stage is different. And I think that because because I don't give a shit about, that's a weird way of putting it, but because I've had to put myself in a situation where I refuse to be judged on my appearance. I want people to stop looking and start listening. This has been something that has been going on all my life. I've got myself into a position where I can walk on stage and hopefully renegotiate the rules. And that's because there is a precedent throughout time of women who are allowed to access that part of themselves and they just let it out. I'm talking about like performers like Nina Simone and Janis Joplin. I'm talking about like the ancient, the women who had no power in Greek society apart from they could get off their faces and receive the oracle. And like this kind of hysterical, like it's kind of off the point. You ask me what, what men aren't doing, I'm telling you what women have done in ancient Greece. But the point, <laughs> is, <laughs> the point is, I think it's slightly different, man. I think it's, I think for men, they're expected to be a bit cooler, be a bit smarter, but also they're allowed to be, um, they're allowed to be genuine in a different way. So, uh, they're not expected to, they're, ex they're allowed, they're, what are you, are you worried about your own <laughs> <laughs> conviction? Uh, Do you need some help with uh -huh. convictions? I'm going to steam in. I'm sorry, mate. I don't know what I've I'm been charged about. with <laughs> immaculate timekeeping, Kate. I'm really sorry. Um, have you got a really short poem? You know, you know the poems in this book, Don. I which, do. Which one? Read your, because we've got a matter to. Sorry, mate. I, was, I don't know if that was helpful I don't or not. Know. We'll talk about it outside. That's that's tiny. That's not a poem. How, many, how long have we got? We've got like like minus time. <laughs> I really like that. You like that one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, could, I think I can know that one. Um, after all that talk about how powerful and important a performance is, it's about to be a massive anticlimax. <laughs> you ready? When I was young, I could speak to animals. These days, I don't know what to say. They used to sniff my ears, but now they smell my fear and walk away. <laughs> Good have it. Just to say very quickly, uh, Kate will be, uh, will be reading tomorrow. I, uh, it doesn't matter when she's reading because you haven't got hope in hell of getting a ticket anyway. Uh, but she will be signing uh, next door right now where we're heading immediately. Yeah. So uh, once again. Thank you everyone for listening. Nice Kate Tampa. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest.